take our Bibles and go to Proverbs chapter 8. We are continuing this series looking at wisdom personified. I think it'll be a blessing to you because this is probably my favorite part of this chapter. We're going to look in Proverbs 8 tonight, and we're also going to look in the book of Job. And I want you to see some comparisons there, but we'll make those as we get there. I think it's so important for us to recognize how sufficient the grace of God is in our lives. And I think the only way that we really begin to appreciate those things is by going through struggles and difficulties. One of the biggest problems with the prosperity gospel movement, outside the fact that they have the gospel incorrect, is that they guarantee a peaceful and carefree and fully healthy life. And I think we can all look at individuals in our lives, maybe even we can look at ourselves and say, people get sick. People um, can be the epitome of health, the perfect example. Proper diet, proper exercise, never bringing themselves under any kind of self-inflicted health problems, but then all of a sudden they get sick and die. This happens all the time. We're not guaranteed a life without suffering. As a matter of fact, we are to look forward to suffering. The world hated Jesus, and so it's going to hate those that believe on him and live a disciplined life. But we have so much peace and comfort in the fact that we can know God. And I'm going to make that case for you tonight as we go through the scripture. But it's always overwhelming to me when I discipline my mind to think about everything that I have in Jesus. It's overwhelming because it's all that I will ever need. It's interesting, the lives that we live right now, we have needs. I'm not talking about wants, we have needs. We must needs have bills to be paid. We must needs have food and clothing and shelter. And those things are never a guarantee. I think a lot of people are realizing uh, how strapped we really are for our resources. No amount of changing to electric or changing the type of car you have or whatever it may be will uh, change the condition of our world today. It's hard to come by things. People are cutting things left and right, trying to make ends meet. And I think if we're deceived, we can look at the things that we have materially as our blessings. We are extremely blessed to live in the country that we're living in. And folks, the reality is that all of that could be gone in a moment. You could very much wake up tonight and your house be on fire and you escape with just the clothes that you had on and everything you have has burned. You can get into a car accident and suffer major loss. You can have a health diagnosis that takes away your mobility and your ability to do things that you could normally do. These are not things we should build our comfort and security on. We need to know where we're going to go when we die. Because we will die. I was listening to uh, one of my YouTube friends. His name is Norm Diamante. He has a great channel. Um, I think it's called Ono, O-N-O Diamante. You check him out. Uh, he's got great free grace stuff. Great guy. He does a very good job of finding clips on the internet and letting them play for a long time and then giving some commentary afterwards we've kind of modeled some of the things that he's done on BibleLine, and we've seen a lot of success because people are looking for answers to these teachers. But recently, he posted a clip of the comedian who passed away earlier this year, I think, Norm MacDonald, 
vile comic. Uh, I would not recommend any of his material at all. But he was caught in a very candid reflection on his belief in God. And he said something that I thought was just so interesting for somebody who didn't live the Christian life. Okay, that, that doesn't mean that he was saved or not. I don't know what he believed. But he, th- th- this guy has millions and millions and millions of dollars. He can literally go and get whatever he needs and whatever he wants. He could probably do that for you and your family. That's how financially well-off he was. But he was uh, recorded on this interview. I have no idea what the interview was because the video that Norm played was just a picture of uh, uh, Norm MacDonald's face. But he said, there's nothing more important than knowing there's something beyond death. And he's so right. And there is no amount of material possession that you can buy or trade for or bargain for that can guarantee life after death. It's a spiritual issue. It's not a physical issue. Our bodies are, we are decaying, you know, from the moment that we're born. Sure, we grow and we continue to grow, and, and, but at some point, this body will not be sufficient. And you see this kind of like in the call of technology today, this idea that we can preserve humanity through technology. That's not going to happen. The soul is an immaterial part of man. You can't capture it on an Ethernet cable. You can't secure it on a motherboard. Those are just pieces of metal and minerals and all that kind of stuff. It's, it's all things that God has created. I thought it was so profound, and I was listening to him, honestly, just babble on because that's that's all he can do because he lacks the wisdom that he needs to know where he'll be when he dies now he may have put his trust in jesus a long time ago and strayed off the path and went into a carnal life the bible says and praise god for this if he put his trust in jesus christ he's eternally secure and it doesn't matter how poorly he finished or how horrible of a life he may have lived uh he's been given eternal life But the fact is, he didn't grow up in any wisdom. He did not grow into the knowledge that the Bible has to offer. And so, here he is at the end of his life with a cancer diagnosis. He's staring death in the face, and he's saying, this is all I want to know. That should tell you something. That should make you stop. Those of us who are living now, that should make us stop and go, we have everything in Jesus. Because we have that answer that the world so desperately craves, but will not yield, will not admit their depravity of knowledge and make that change of mind to believe on Jesus. He's mocked. He's shamed. I remember a long time ago there was a cartoonist. This was when I was in high school, so around 2005 through 2008. There was a cartoonist that was animating for some network, and he depicted Muhammad. I don't know if you guys remember this, but it was a real, it was a huge issue in the Middle East uh, when this, this episode aired of, I don't even know what show it was, but, but they made a picture of Muhammad. And it was such a desecration to Islam that they issued a, I can't remember what it's called, it starts with an F, yes, where they said, we're going to kill this man, this cartoonist. Yet, I think in the same show, they mock Jesus. They take the Lord's name in vain. Uh, People are not even concerned when they use Jesus Christ's name out of context. 
But man, if you say something bad towards Muhammad, they're ready to take your head off your body. Such a difference. Why is it so easy for the world to trample on Jesus Christ? Because mankind hates the truth. It hates the light. It goes away from the light. It's like the big fat cockroach in your kitchen. That as soon as you turn that light on, that thing is, you know, the fastest Olympic runner underneath the stove. That happened on the, back, on the, on the morning of the back-to-school bash. I went into the kitchen, and I thought I saw it, you know. And I was, I was crafty because it had just rained and, you know, been about a month since we had sprayed outside. And I saw that thing. Literally, it looked like the reflection of my iPhone flashlight on the uh, refrigerator. And I stopped, and I saw it, and it just ran right underneath the stove. And I was like, so angry. I just wanted to get that thing. Sprayed underneath the stove. It came out and died. Celebrated. Left it there for three weeks. Tell all the other roaches, this will be your end. Get out. Get your family out. <laughs> no. We do not have a roach problem. They just come inside. They're, they're huge. But anyway, we can really deceive ourselves into thinking that man naturally is good, but man hates the light. Runs towards the darkness. Why? Because his deeds are evil. So when they come under knowledge that they're sinners and that their sin has a payment and that penalty, excuse me, that penalty for sin is death, and they are facing that in their rebellion. They, they, they rage against that knowledge because they are so rebellious. They are so wicked and depraved from anything good. That's why we need something brand new. That's why we do not get a nature that is uh, remodeled, so to speak. We get something brand new, and we can walk in that the moment that we put our trust in Jesus Christ. But I want you to look here in chapter 8 of Proverbs in verse 22. I'm going to read here a little bit some beautiful, beautiful writing. I, I pray that you'll enjoy it. The Lord possessed me in the beginning of his way before his works of old. I was set up from everlasting from the beginning or ever the earth was. When there were no depths, I was brought forth. When there were no fountains abounding with water, before the mountains were settled, before the hills was I brought forth. While as yet he had not made the earth, nor the fields, nor the highest part of the dust of the world, when he prepared the heavens, I was there. When he set a compass upon the face of the depth, when he established the clouds above, when he strengthened the fountains of the deep, when he gave to the sea his decree that the waters should not pass his commandment, when he appointed the foundations of the earth, then I was by him as one brought up with him, and I was daily his delight, rejoicing always before him, rejoicing in the habitable part of his earth, and my delights were with the sons of men. Now therefore hearken unto me, O ye children, for blessed are they that keep my ways. I wanna, I've got three points that I really want to make tonight, and we're going to go to some other places to take a look at this. But the first thing that I wrote down is that wisdom is timeless. A lot of scholars and commentators like to see this as a parallel to Jesus Christ. And I can see that. We'll look at that later on this evening because it looks like we do have time to look in those verses that I have planned. But it's important to see here that wisdom is timeless. I listen to a lot of people that talk about a lot of things that they've come out of before they came to free grace theology. One of the things I hear the most about when they were in the deepest part of the theological system before they put their trust in Jesus Christ or before they submitted to what the Bible says is true 
is they were so drawn to the intellectual prowess of their teachers. They loved it. The more accolades the individual had, the more respect they gave to that person. It wasn't until, and I hear this to a T in some of these interviews I listen to, it wasn't until they read the scripture for themselves that they began to doubt what they were taught. That's profound. That should tell you and I something significant. See, we are blessed to be under clear teaching. We are blessed to be able to rightly divide the word. If you talk to somebody who subscribes to a theological system like uh, Calvinism, they'll say something like, well, blank says this, and fill in the blank will be some teacher. Well, blank in his book says this, and they'll go back to the church fathers. I've had people call me a dumb, dumb knucklehead because I do not know the church fathers like they do. That's all secondhand stuff. We got the original right here. Oh, but man's editing, ooh, that's better. Is it? But in the theological system that we are in now, with this accurate understanding of salvation by faith alone, not proven by any works, you can say confidently, the Bible says, the Bible says, the Bible says. You don't have to rely on a teacher. You don't have to rely on a school or a theological volume of books. The Bible says. And that's enough. But as soon as people begin to come away from the teachings of man and they let the scripture speak for itself, they begin to see what they used to believe exposed as an error. Wisdom is timeless. There's no amount of studying that you can do in a theological system that will make you more wise. You want wisdom? You know God. You know Him. And the only way that we can know Him, we do not go out into the streets and and shout at the sky for wisdom to strike us. We submit to the teachings of His Word. This is the one thing that He elevates above His own name. Our friend, Job, learned this lesson. There are 42 chapters in the book of Job. Over 80% of it is all the advice from his friends. And Job's, I can't wait to go to God and, and, and get my vindication and say my peace. And there are 38, 39, 40, and 41 is God's response to Job. Four chapters compared to several others of all the advice. I want you to see what God says. It will tie in perfectly with what we just read. Look in Job chapter, you can let Proverbs go. Job chapter 38. I want you to put yourself in Job's shoes. I think it's silly when pastors and teachers make fun of men in the Bible. Because they were just doing what they had they, they they were just taking bad advice or whatever it was sure they've been described as foolish and all that but i think a lot of us tend to think we'd be better and if we're being honest we're failing in the grace that we're given now when we judge like that job had lost everything folks his his children having a child now can, i can't imagine that grief in that alone And then all your property, all of his servants. Now his body was stricken with boils. He was cutting himself to alleviate the pressure on these boils with broken pottery. 
and he's got these three friends that come and say, surely this, surely that. Job, it's you. Job, it's the way it is. Blah, blah, blah. And Job has his piece where he's like, I'm going to say my piece. And you know, he, did, he didn't want to sin, but he thought that he could have God answer for this thing that he's done. And look at what God says to him. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind. This is an interesting statement here, out of the whirlwind. I've often thought, what does that mean? It probably is imagery of how powerful the voice of God was to Job. I don't know if there was actually like a tornado that encompassed him and God spoke through that. But whatever it was, it was the voice of power. Not chaos, but power. And this is what he said to him. Who is he that darkeneth counsel by words without knowledge? This is a very telling statement. This is what God is saying here. Who is he that speaketh about what he does not know? The world would say, Job, he, was, he deserved an answer. God must answer for what he has done to him. And God says, who is speaking on what he doesn't know? Look at, 30, or look at three. Gird up now thy loins like a man. Ooh. I want to hear like, well done, thou good and faithful servant. I don't know if I want to ever hear God say that. This is get ready. Stand, stand firm for what I'm about to ask of you. For I will demand of thee and answer thou me. Where wast thou when I laid the foundations of the earth? Declare if thou hast understanding. Who hath laid the measures thereof, if thou knowest? Or who hath stretched the line upon it? Whereupon are the foundations thereof fastened? Or who laid the cornerstone thereof? He's going to move now from the foundation, the structure of the world. Can we explain... Can we explain how all this has come to be? Oh, sure. And I've said this before. It's this bust of gas that just happened, and then millions of years and pressure, and here we are. We can understand things scientifically about the accumulation of what we see, but we don't understand how it got here. We already reject what God says He did, He spoke it into existence. We can't even imagine something like that. I can't speak anything into existence. Otherwise, I'd have a bank account full. I'd be like the U.S. government. Just print it all, you know? None of us understand that kind of power. God has that wisdom. And it's how He structured everything. And He's asking Job, how is it all fastened? How is the earth held together? Explain to me the foundation. We can't even do those things now. It's hard for us to understand the entire depth of the earth. We can't even get down to the bottom point of the sea. This is, obviously God has some more knowledge than we do. He continues. He moves now from the earth to the stars. Seven. When the morning stars sang together, and all the sons of God shouted for joy, or who shut up the sea with doors when it break forth as if it had issued out of the womb? When I made the cloud the garment thereof, and thick darkness a swaddling band for it, and break up for it my decreed place, and set bars and doors, and said, Hitherto shalt thou come, but no further, and here shall thy proud waves be stayed. We can see right now the destruction of the ocean with tsunamis. You go look at some video. They, uh, you can actually see real video of tsunamis that come on shore after 
an earthquake that causes, you know, a massive wave to come and just destroy it. There's no dam that we can build that could stop that. But we try. Oh, we try. This is why I laugh at this idea of controlling the weather. We can't do it. We're trying right now. It's not any better. We think we can legislate these things into control? If God wanted to, he could could simply pull the restraint off the oceans and everything would be engulfed. Just as he said it would be. That's knowledge that we don't understand. And he's asking Job, tell me how it's done. This is probably for Job like deafening on the brain. uh, he, He can't even fathom how this would come to be. Verse 12, Hast thou commanded morning since thy days? And caused the day spring to know his place, that it might take hold of the ends of the earth, that the wicked might be shaken out of it? It is uh, turned as clay to the seal, and they stand as a garment. And from the wicked their light is broken, and the high arm shall be broken. Hast thou entered into the springs of the sea? Or hast thou walked in the search of the depth? Have the gates of death been opened unto thee? Or hast thou seen the doors of the shadow of death? Hast thou perceived the breadth of the earth? Declare it, if thou knowest it all. Wow. That's a lot. That would be a moment where Job might say, if he was a prideful, arrogant man, may you repeat the question? Doesn't matter if you hear it again. He doesn't have the answers. And God knows that. But he's demonstrating something to Job that it's not for you to know how things operate. Know me. Know who I am. And that'll be enough. Look in 42. 42, 1 through 3. In, in chapter 40 and in 41, God continues. Job does respond to him in, in chapter 40. God goes in again and he talks about nature and the control of nature. But in 42, Job has a response. Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that thou canst do everything. Do you know how significant this is for Job to say it? Because he just lost everything that God gave him. And Job is saying, you can do it. I know you can do everything from the creation of the world to the maintaining of the animal kingdom to your judgment of the wicked and your reward for the righteous. You can do it all. And that no thought, look at what this says, no thought can be withholden from thee. If God has the ability to know all that there is to know, He is knowledge, then the wisdom that He offers is greater than anything we could ever seek to achieve in this world. Anything. Anything. I tell students that are going to Bible college, if you think you're going to get all of life's answer in four years of Bible college because you simply went to the right school... You're fooling yourself. You might as well not go at all. If you're trusting in a degree to make you wise, you will fail. Seek to know God. Pastor, how? Know His Word. Oh, but you say that all the time. Have you done it? You'll get the answers you seek. 
verse 3. Who is he that hideth counsel without knowledge? Therefore have I uttered what I understood not, things too wonderful for me, which I knew not. Job admits he's made a mistake, he lacks in knowledge, but he seeks to know God. I want to read you this comment that I found when I was studying for tonight. It's by an unknown writer, and I think it's so, it is so accurate. I've tried to say it this way before, but the words, have, the words have failed me. And I think this anonymous quote captures it well. Here's what it says. Sometimes the best answers to life's most baffling and troubling questions lie not in what God says, but in who he is. I'm going to read that again. Sometimes the best answers to life's most baffling and troubling questions lie not in what God says, but in who He is. When believers recognize that truth, they begin to see that God does not just know the answers, but in fact is the answer. He is not the teacher that had the study to give you answers. He is the origin of it all. And if you know Him, you don't need the answers. You just need to know Him. That is powerful. And some of you have had your life shaken in a way where you are like Job. You are asking for answers. You ask God one question. Why? It's not for you to know. It's not for us to know. You know how comforting that is? (laughs) If you know God, you've got it. You don't need the answer. Why? You know Him. We're not going to bring the problems of this life into the next. That's a different level of understanding that we cannot achieve without suffering, without hardships, without failure, mistake, falling short. To know Him is to know all one needs to know. The rest may come later, but is unnecessary for now. And I want to close with this reading of John chapter 1. Would you join me over there in the Gospel of John in chapter 1? Hold on to that thought. Hold on to that thought that it's not just that God knows the answers, but He in fact is the answer. And as you think of what was said to Job, and you think about the beauty in which wisdom is described in Proverbs chapter 8, You then read this about Jesus Christ. In John 1, verses 1 through 18. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. Stop for a moment. This has to mean wisdom. It has to. God said it to Job. And it was described beautifully in Proverbs 8. The principle of creation. In Him, now we've personified this word. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehendeth it not. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. The same came for a witness. He was a forerunner. To bear witness of the capital L light. This is talking about Jesus. That all men through him might what? Believe. Boy, I love that. Doesn't say serve. 
doesn't say commit, doesn't say deny, doesn't say pursue. It says pistuo in the Greek, believe. He, John, was not that light, Jesus, but was sent to bear witness of that light, Jesus, that the true light which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made by him. And the world knew him not. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. The name has not been revealed yet. Which were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. This new birth that we experience, the moment we believe on the light, the one who made the worlds, the one who was made by the world, came into the world, but rejected by the world. When we believe on this man, we are not born as we are born physically into this world. We have a brand new birth from God. And the word was made flesh, 14, and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John, that forerunner, bear witness of him and cried, saying, This was he of whom I spake. He that cometh after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. What does that mean? John was born first. Yes, the incarnation of Jesus happened after John's birth. However, he's from everlasting. And of the fullness have all we received, and grace for grace. That's a turn of phrase. That means grace upon grace upon grace. We have all the forgiveness. All that we do not deserve has been given to us. For the law was given by Moses. But grace and truth came by, and here's his name, Jesus Christ. No man hath seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him. You see, Jesus, you have seen the Lord. This brings so much color and meaning and purpose to our lives. We're trusting in him. In Jesus. So when he speaks, we would be wise to listen and apply. Not ask questions, not scream and shout and demand why. Learn. Yield, submit, obey. God will give you what you need. But boy, we try to find everything, don't we? We try to find it all. We try to buy what we need. We try to save away what we need. We try to prepare for what we need. But at the end of the day, we are denying the sufficiency of Jesus Christ as we walk. And folks, the only person that hurts is you. It doesn't have to be that way. You can close your Bibles. I heard this illustration one time about finances, about ministry, about control. Imagine for a moment you have a handful of sand. It's life-giving sand. You need this. And you're poured just the amount that you need. And you have two ways you can hold this sand. You can either grab it tightly and make sure that there's no 
nothing leaking from the cracks of your hands or any gaps in your grip. And in the process of closing it, you lose a lot. But you, what you got, you hold on to. Or you can simply leave your palm open and steady. And there's so many of us that are grabbing on to life. We're grabbing on to security, grabbing on to knowledge, grabbing on to application. When we just need to simply trust. There's that beautiful hymn, Trust and Obey. Now, I know people make a fuss about that. We don't obey for eternal life, but I don't know if that's what that song is singing about. It's about as we go through the trials of this life. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. This is what I love to teach about. I love teaching about the gospel. I love teaching against Calvinism and rightly dividing the word and all that. But this right here is how we get to all those other things. This is how we get to those conclusions. And we deny ourselves blessings when we try to hold on to everything that we've got selfishly. I pray this has been an encouragement to you. We'll wrap up this series next week, Lord willing. But I want to share with you how you can know for sure that you have eternal life. Look up here for a moment. If this hand represents you, me, and everybody in the entire world, I'll let this represent sin because the Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death, eternal separation forever in a place called hell. You have to be absolutely perfect to get to heaven without any sin, past, present, or future, none. And we all fall short. Even if we were to do our very best from this point forward, the sins that we committed yesterday still demand a payment. And if we keep the law in one point, or we, we keep the whole law and offend in one point, we're guilty of breaking the whole thing. There is no amount of good works we can do to pay for our sin because good works is not a valid form of payment. Somebody has to die for this sin. This hand represents Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God. God, through His love, took that sin for us on the cross. Jesus bore our sin, became that sin for us. He suffered the wrath of God and He cried out, it is finished. The payment for sin was completed. He was buried and He rose again three days later. And the Bible says, whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. This is how God has loved the world. Not some, you know, squishy teddy bear, oh, I so love you, Baba. God loved you in that He demonstrated it. He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for your sins. And if you simply believe on Him, you receive the free gift of everlasting life. What about works? Works are great. Works demonstrate your faith so that men can look at the Father. But let me tell you, works don't save you. They don't get you saved. They don't keep you saved. Jesus Christ did that. You believe on Him, you have everlasting life. Let's go to the Lord in prayer, shall we? Father, I, I pray for the people here tonight. I, I pray for those in the ministry here at Calvary that we would humble ourselves and seek after the wisdom you have available. I pray, Lord, that we can learn the lesson of Job, that you know everything and we are, de we're, we are so depraved of knowledge. We need you. And so I pray that we would be strong and encouraged. In Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. Glad to have you here. Let's all stand together. <clears throat>
Boy. <laughs> Hang on for a moment. Run into my eyes. We'll sing. Thank you, Lord. Uh, it's pretty hot up here, I'll be honest with you. So I'm, we're not going to have choir practice. It's very hot. Um, but I do want to remind you that this Sunday, we are starting a series that I think is very important. I really do want you to be here for this. We're going to go through a lot on the word faith, and it's going to be some deep stuff, and I think it'll be beneficial for those that are struggling with what does it mean to believe? What does it mean to have faith? Am I have faith in the right thing? It'll be very beneficial for you. We start that series this Sunday. Let's sing in closing together. Thank you, Lord, for saving my soul. Thank you, Lord, for making me whole. Thank you, Lord, for giving to me thy great salvation so rich and free. God bless you guys. Have a great week, and we will see you here, Lord willing, on Sunday morning. Take care.